It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, don't waste the season of life you're in now because you want the next one to come. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new study questions tool and single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Check them out by clicking on, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, look for the new videos for all ages every week at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So Jonathan, first podcast of 2020, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, why does time matter in God's plan? And our theme text is found in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Okay, why does time matter in God's plan? Life is often measured by time. Our society is hyper-focused on immediate gratification, which means we don't want to have to wait. We don't want to have time pass before we get what we want. We have scheduled events, appointments, work hours, lunch breaks, and periods for sleep. All of these things are time-driven. We celebrate birthdays, holidays, and vacations, all of which are driven by the calendar, a tool for measuring time. With such a complete dependency on the clock, what would make us think that God's plan for humanity is any different? How often do we hear people complain that, it, that if God exists and is all-powerful, why doesn't he, and then you can just fill in the blank. Well, coming up in today's podcast, like it or not, we all waste time. But it turns out that God does not. As we go through some poetic words of Scripture regarding time in segment two, we're going to see a profound scriptural principle be set. That is, God is a meticulous timekeeper. What does that mean? Are we not supposed to be late for church? Is that what we're talking about? Segment three gives us the big picture of how God's timekeeping works. Now, what about you? How are you at managing your time? Segment four delves into our personal privileges as we live here and now and have access to God's word. Finally, how and when does it all end? Segment five shows us that the end is actually a powerful beginning, and it all has to do with God's perfect time clock. But first, let's define how we're going to go about this conversation. Rick, let's look at time seasons, and ages, and what parts they play in God's master plan. Okay, let's do that. And the way to do that is we're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to specifically focus on the third chapter for our podcast today. Now, Ecclesiastes is a book written by a man, Solomon, who had everything and ended up using it all for himself. He was 
privileged of God. He was given wonderful gifts by God, and he ended up using all this stuff up for himself. So, Jonathan, we need to get a little bit of background on the book of Ecclesiastes and on Solomon. So we're going to take a look at some notes from John A. Megason and a couple of verses in between. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we have an important question raised, considered in various aspects and answered from the standpoint of a wide and varied experience in Ecclesiastes 1.3, which reads, What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? All would do well to carefully consider it in the light of Solomon's experience and with the prayer of the psalmist in their hearts. Okay, so so Jonathan, let let's just pause there for a quick second. So the 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 com- commentary is saying, okay, Ecclesiastes one three is asking this big question: What advantage does man have in all the work that he does? So he's asking a very very big life question, and now he's referring us to Psalm ninety verse twelve. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And then the commentator goes on and says, he was one of the most successful men from the world standpoint that ever lived. He had all the comforts and blessings that wealth and power and honor and fame and natural qualifications of mind and body and education and even specially gifted superhuman wisdom could bestow upon him. And all these he used chiefly for his own personal gratification. Man, so close and yet so far when you think about it. And we, we've talked about Solomon in a few recent podcasts, and, and this is just delving into another piece of the life and, and the wisdom and the folly of King Solomon. And Rick, when we read that verse in Psalms, so teach us to number our days, it, it makes me think of valuing our days uh, make good use of our days. Just don't let it go by. And uh, we've done other shows and we've talked about the sluggard <laughs> that doesn't really want to get out of bed or do anything. Yeah, that, that which the, is the opposite of valuing your days. Yeah, yeah. That, that proverb that says, uh, oh, thou sluggard, remember the ant or something like that. You know, yes. <laughs> get up and go to work. You know, but the idea of numbering your days is really an important thing. Um, and, and what you're right, what it's saying is, each day should have its own intrinsic value. And, you know, don't say, well, hey, you know, it's a day off. I don't have to really do anything. Well, no, 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 no. It's a day off, maybe from some work, but what can you do to honor and please God in that, in that time? So you're right. Number our days. So that gives us just a sense of the, the overview of Solomon and the beginning of the book. We're going to be focusing on the third chapter of this book, which emphasizes times and seasons for everything. And just, Jonathan, a line, quick line from uh, John Megason on that. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, Solomon gives us the results of his wide experience and observation from a business and social standpoint. Okay, so business and social primarily is what we're thinking Solomon was focusing on in, in chapters 3, 4, and 5 of Ecclesiastes. Now, we're going to be taking a look at this, the, the uh, Ecclesiastes, especially the beginning part of the chapter, but we're going to begin by viewing some of its conclusions a little bit later. So we're starting not with the end, but with some of the later conclusions. So we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 3, first verse 16, and then a couple of minutes, verse 17. Again, we're starting with a conclusion, and we're going to back into it. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. So doesn't that sound just like today? 
Oh, yes, it certainly does, Rick. So, you know, and, and he uses this phrase, under the sun, all the time. And what he's saying is, everything that's revealed in the world, here's, here's a sum total of it. And so he's saying, wherever you look, you're seeing there's wickedness instead of justice. There's uh, wickedness instead of justice. Just like now. These are common scriptural observations, which are not only made by Solomon, which always point out the inequities of how the world works. The following two texts reiterate the challenge beginning with those who have authority. So these, these next scriptures are not from Ecclesiastes or from Solomon, but they're saying exactly the same thing in a slightly different way. First, Psalm 58, 1-2. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O gods? Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? No, in heart you work unrighteousness. On earth you weigh out the violence of your hands. So now, it's interesting. It says, do you indeed speak righteousness, O gods? Now, what gods is the psalmist talking about? He's talking about men who have great authority. And he's saying, are you righteous, O mighty men? That's really what he's saying. He's saying, no, you don't. And then he says, on earth, it says, you weigh out the violence of your hands. That sounds a little odd for us. And I think what he's saying is, on earth, you calculate the violence of your hands. In other words, you know you're doing wrong, and it's a calculated risk that you take, and you're careful to make sure you can execute so you can get what you want. It's not a good picture. It's a selfish world. It's a very selfish world and a very evil world because of that. Isaiah 59, 14 and 15. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street, and uprighteousness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing, displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. So not only are we seeing this lack of justice be reiterated in several places, and we could go on, we could spend the entire podcast talking about scriptures that reiterate the lack of justice. But in this Isaiah scripture, it's saying God sees it. And that's one of the interesting things that we need to grab hold of here is God sees what's happening. Ed, Rick, just uh, on a side note, uh, I have jury duty next Monday. And how do you go there and hear information when you know there's lies and there's corruption? And it, it just... It's not something I'm looking forward to. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Actually, Trish, my wife, um, had finished jury duty just several weeks ago. And she, she did? Oh, yeah, yeah. I and, didn't know that. Yeah, and she was, she was actually on a murder trial. And, Whoa. you know, there's a whole story to, and, you know, she was just telling me before the podcast, that's why this is really fresh in my mind. She said, one thing I learned being there is people hear things differently. Ah. And so, you know, again, this all has to do with God's timing because, how come it doesn't all make sense? How come everybody doesn't see God? How come, how come, how come? Because we're not in that time, and Ecclesiastes is going to show us the unfolding of that. So now, Solomon, let's get back to this. Even in his questioning state of mind, does give hope in the next verse, Ecclesiastes three seventeen. Again, we're starting with conclusions, and then we're going to start with the beginning of the chapter, next segment. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. So Isaiah mentions it was displeasing to God that there was no justice. Solomon brings it a step further, says God will judge both the righteous and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. And that's key. 
So we're starting to look at God's time. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first eight verses or so. But we're laying the groundwork by understanding a little bit more about Ecclesiastes, the bigger picture, and you know Solomon's state of mind, if you will. So Jonathan, tracing God's timing um, for this uh, segment. God's timing for the fulfillment of his plan is not obvious and therefore commonly and often mockingly overlooked. People mock the timing of God because the, the famous uh, vision of the, of, the, of the non-believer standing there and saying, God, I'll do what you say, just tell me. I'm listening. And of course, they're not going to get an answer. And they say, doesn't that prove God's not there? No. It simply proves it's not God's time. We'll get into that as we go a little bit further. Now we have a sense of the bigger picture. Solomon seems to be saying we are essentially powerless beings. As we look into God's master plan, why are we using the perspective of a man who lost his way? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, the life of Solomon truly is fascinating. His favor in God's eyes led to his great wisdom, but he eventually lost his godliness. What we see in Ecclesiastes are solid observations from a man who could perceive much, but was not disciplined and obedient enough to fully use what he observed. He had this ability to perceive, but he didn't have the discipline to apply all of that wisdom, and and it faded from him as a result. So, Jonathan, it's kind of a sad story that, that is the backdrop for our podcast today. But there's a great, great lessons about God's timing as we go through this. So one of the things we thought might be fun to do as we go through time and timing is take a review, and there's all kinds of reviews you can do, and this is not the, the, the end-all review, but top 10 inventions of all time. This is from, hey, guess what it's from? Top 10 inventions of all time from WatchMojo.com. So we're going to hear inventions number 10 and number 9 on their countdown list now. Welcome to WatchMojo.com, and today we're counting down our picks for the top 10 inventions of all time. Number 10. Paper One of the Chinese people's four great inventions, paper was invented and developed in the 2nd century BC by the Han Dynasty. The idea eventually traveled to Europe, where paper mills began manufacturing the product on a larger scale. Without paper, the printing press would never have been invented, and our world would be very different. We would not have maps, paper currency, or books to disperse information. Its impact is truly endless. Number 9. The Compass Before the compass, sailors depended on landmarks or even the stars to navigate their ships. But once the Chinese began using lodestones and magnetism to find their bearings between the 9th and 11th centuries, it quickly spread to the Arab world and to Europe. This not only made circumnavigation of the globe easier, it also made it safer, which kicked off the age of discovery. So paper and the compass. Think about where the world would be without paper. I know. And it's such a basic thing that we've almost stopped using in a lot of ways now. 
And, and Rick, even God used a compass in Proverbs eight twenty seven, when it says, "When he set a compass upon the face of the deep," and that's just just depicting his creative work before um, people or animals or anything were here. He was creating the environment of the earth. And so God set the directions in place because in his timing, it all would coalesce, if you will, over a great, great, great length of time. So paper and compass, number 10 and number nine on this particular list. It's just kind of fun to look at those kinds of things as we're looking at the value of time and how things have endured over time and changed the pathway of you and I because of their existence over such uh, ages and ages of time. So Jonathan, as we go to really focus now on chapter 3 from verse 1, just another quick commentary, this one from the Expositor Bible. If the true good is not to be found in the school where wisdom utters her voice, nor in the garden in which pleasure spreads her laurels, may it not be found in the market, in devotion to business and public affairs? The preacher will try this experiment also. He gives himself to study and consider it. So, so the, the preacher here is Solomon, and uh, it, it, he is. He kind of explains that at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, and he is talking about his ruminations, if you will, over what's happening in the world, all these things under the sun. So let's go to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Okay, let's just stop right there. Important point that begins this. It says there's an appointed time for everything. What does that actually mean? Well, Rick, it simply means an appointed occasion. Okay, what it's saying is there is a timetable for everything. That's, that's the statement that Solomon is making, and that statement is actually backed up in Scripture. Okay, it's not just Solomon and his, and his thinking and saying, well, you know, under the sun, you know, all is vanity, and I know there's a time for everything. And a lot of times we look at these verses because these are the verses that say, you know, there's a, a time to, to, to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. We're going to get into those. We look at those, he's like, well, he's just, you know, rattling through these things. But he's starting out by saying something profound. There's an appointed time for everything. Jesus verifies the idea of carefully appointed time in Matthew 16, to 4 The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm tomorrow, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern at the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. So Jesus is saying to them, okay, you can look at the sky and you can discern the weather, but you can't discern the signs of the times. When he says the signs of the times, what, again, that word times, what does that mean? Uh, it means of uncertain affinity, an occasion that is set of a proper time. So it's the same thing. So he's saying you, you can understand the weather, but you can't understand the proper timing of God. And he's saying you're looking for a sign. You know, it's interesting because we were talking just before in the last segment about the people that stand and say, okay, God, show me a sign. And Jesus is saying, 
That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. See, the problem is, they, he says, you're not going to get a sign. You shouldn't need a sign if you're looking with godly eyes. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Have you seen me heal anyone recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about signs. They were all over the place. And yet they were looking for something different. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not getting what you're asking for. You're getting what is being given. Open your eyes and see what's been given. And that's a powerful, powerful point. Tracing God's timing. Just at the beginning of this, there's an appointed time for everything. God works carefully and specifically uses time as a precision tool. You know, a Swiss watch, everybody thinks of a Swiss watch as a, as a mark of precision. God's timing of the eternity of earth is a precision tool as well. I'm going to unveil that as we go through. God's timing can make things look bad, okay? And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, you see things going from good to bad. We'll just take the first half of that first, Jonathan. What is it? A time to give birth and a time to die. I mean, don't we want to just stop and focus on the give birth and see how cute oh, the kid absolutely. is? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, Solomon says, no, but there's a time to die too. Well, okay, let's, let, let's see what a bigger message can be from this. And, and folks, you know, as we give you the bigger messages through Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're not saying that these are the exact messages that Solomon meant, but these are messages that appeal to us as we look at this and say, we can see something deeper here. Jesus' own path. So now we're talking about a time to give birth and a time to die. Jesus' own path shows how timing was a major factor in bringing the Messiah to Israel. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Okay, so it was not just God who saw the timing. But the people had been expecting it as well. Now, we're going to get into that in Luke 3.15, but just pause there for a second. There was an expectation at the time of Jesus' birth. That's right. They were looking for a Messiah. Right. Okay, so keep that thought in mind. Now let's fast forward about 30 years later, Luke 3.15. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and were wondering in their hearts about John the Baptist as to whether he was the Christ. Now, they're wondering about John because he's preaching. And they're saying, maybe he's the Christ. Maybe he's the Christ. Well, remember, the time of expectation started 30 years before. That's right. <laughs> so can, can you imagine, Jonathan, if people were told today, listen, there's greatness that's going to happen, and it's going to change the world. It's going to take 30 years, but it's going to change the world, and it's, it's going to be the most amazing thing. People would be like... Why would I care? Right, exactly. I, I'm not going to be there, or... <laughs> But, you know, God doesn't mean anything to me now. Right, right. And that's exactly the point. But God's timing is just, it's, it's like a crock pot. It's like the slow cooking of something. Is it done yet? No, it's going to take all day. Just accept the fact and move forward. So 30 years later, there's expectation. This is showing the life of Jesus. And now we move to the timing of the death of Jesus was just as precise as his birth, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And Rick, um, I love this scripture because it pictures Jesus as that sacrificial lamb at the Passover. And another verse says, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
Now that's perfect timing. It is. It is. It's it's a prophetic view of the perfect timing and Jesus was Jesus died as the Passover lamb was literally being slain. There's no accident in that. It's God's timing because he was showing a world-changing event and the Passover was a signal given generations and generations and generations before that would help us understand that much later on. So a timing at his birth, a timing at his offering himself after he was baptized with John the Baptist, and then a timing for his death. A time to give birth and a time to die. The further part of Ecclesiastes 3.2 says... It says... (laughs) (laughs) It says a time to... A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. That's exactly what it says. So let's go to a different example, a time to plant and a time to uproot what's planted. Abraham, Abraham was literally shown where his as yet unborn family was to actually be planted. Genesis 12, 1, when he's first given the Abrahamic promise, tells us that. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So he's saying, here's the land, I'm going to show you this land that your family that you don't have yet is going to inhabit and become a great nation. So you've got the, the planting of Israel prophesied way back in Genesis, okay, the planting of this nation. And yet Jesus pronounced Israel's desolation, but only when the time for it was coming. And that's in Matthew. Now we fast forward to Jesus' time, the, near the end of his ministry, Matthew 23, 37 and 38. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So essentially, the time to plant, prophetically given to Abraham, is a time to uproot after the time of Jesus. And we know that in AD 70, you had the, the, the destruction of the temple. We're going to talk about that a little later. And you had the, the scattering of Israel throughout the world. And they remained scattered for a long time, 1,845 years. They remained scattered and then finally began to come back to their homeland. But a time to plant and a time to uproot. So what Solomon said as he's, as he's musing over life, we're looking at saying, yeah, but see, what this is showing us is God's timing. Yes, it is. God's timing gives opportunity, gives trial, and then opportunity. At this point, though, you know, you've got, you're starting with good and ending with bad, okay? So as we wrap up this segment, Jonathan, tracing God's timing in relation planting and birth and uprooting and dying. Birth and planting, dying and being uprooted all show to us how things which seem contrary and sad can actually work together to accomplish what God is doing. You know, and that's an important thing. God's timing is hard to read if you're looking at the, the news. Take, take a piece of paper. Here's a test. Take a piece of paper, put it right in front of your face, okay, like, you know, like two inches away, and see how many words you can read. Versus, <laughs> versus holding the paper back and saying, wow, there's a lot of words on that page. See, when we look at this up front, right in front of us, and we see our current events and our current life and the things that are happening, we get confused because we're not seeing God's timing. We're seeing our moment. And what this is beginning to tell us is there's something bigger than just our moment when it comes to the timing of God. So as we begin, we are seeing that things don't necessarily look like they'll end up well. But wait, there's more. 
When thinking about God's timing, it's easy to get lost in details. What does the big picture look like? Rick and Jonathan are so busy analyzing how today's issues can be solved by a scriptural approach, they naturally don't talk a lot about who they are in daily life. So that's my job. Here's a couple facts you may not have known about your two hosts, such as, for some reason when Rick wears a tie, it always has an animal on it. Why? We don't know. That's just his preference. Now, Jonathan may not love animal ties, but he has a cool rescue dog named Beta. And now you know more about your Christian Questions hosts. Talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan. As Solomon continues to observe the inevitabilities of life, we're working to build a case for these truths to show us a deeper glimpse into the mind of God. These next two verses in Ecclesiastes 3 show us a reversal of sorts. Instead of ending with a negative like death and uprooting, they now end with a positive. So the first verse there was all about you you start good and then bad, start good and then bad. There is a reversal here. And I think, Jonathan, we're going to take that reversal as an evidence that the big picture has in it dramatic reversal but that you have to see that through the eyes of God's timing. Can't see it through our our own current events. It's the eyes of God's timing. So before we get into all of that, let's go back to the top 10 inventions. We started out with paper and a compass as number 10 and number 9. Let's go to number 8 and number 7, and this is from uh, watchmojo.com. Number 8, refrigeration. Though ice was used since prehistoric times to prevent food from spoiling and developing bacteria, the concept of refrigeration was only developed in earnest starting in the mid-1700s. The process was then refined and improved, changing the way the food industry transports and stores food. The implications of this discovery are far-reaching as it transformed the way we eat and live. Number 7. The Printing Press Though Johannes Gutenberg is credited with this invention, he actually perfected and popularized existing technology. By combining the Chinese principle of movable type with European press systems already in use for winemaking, Gutenberg created the machine that printed text on a wide scale, which in turn lowered the price of books and helped spread information and knowledge to the masses, spurring the Reformation, the Renaissance, and the Scientific Revolution. It's interesting that they say he spurred the Reformation because of the printing press, because the Word of God could actually be printed and read by the common man. What an amazing thing that is. You know, and, and again, you have the, the Chinese invented paper and then really contributed to the invention of, of the printing press. And you say, wow, without them, where would modern society be? Good point. It's really, it's really very fascinating taking a look at these things. And these are a long time ago. Things that we just completely take for granted. I've got a printer on the other side of my room. I press a button and it spits out, you know, five pages for a, a CQ outline. You know, <laughs> think about that. I don't even think about it except when the ink runs low. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Then I replace this little cartridge and I don't work up a sweat or anything. I order it online. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we get into this now, Jonathan. Um, The theme for this next two verses, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 3 and 4, in this segment is God's timing is going to show us the big picture. Remember the reversal? Things ended negatively, you know, born, die, plant, uproot. They change. Ecclesiastes 3, 3. A time to kill 
and a time to heal. Kill and then heal. Death comes to us all, and it began with Father Adam's disobedience. So a time for death, Genesis two sixteen and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. So the, the, the rules and the guidance were set that if you disobey, death will follow. God takes your right to life away. A time for death, a time to kill, and now you have a time to heal. Well, what is that? Well, Jesus showed us that, and Jesus is called the second Adam. It's interesting. The time for death came through the first. Jesus, the second Adam, came as what? A healer. A a healer, yeah. Right, Right. Giving a glimpse of what would come in due time. He wasn't the final view of healing. He was the glimpse of something later in God's plan, Luke 6, 17 to 19. And there was a great throng of people who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Can you even imagine what that would have been like? Did the scribes and Pharisees see it? Of course they did. The question is, why didn't they do something positive about something that was so far beyond them? Exactly. And, you know, one of the reasons is because they were so focused on their own agenda, they couldn't even see outside of themselves. So what you have was the glimpse of great healing that was actually given uh, through the hands uh, and the presence of Jesus there. And, of course, we know there was other, other healing in, in the Scriptures, but Jesus was the primary focus here that we're talking about, a time to kill and a time to heal. The next part of Ecclesiastes 3, verse 3 is what? A time to tear down and a time to build up. Okay, tearing down and building up, starting with something bad and then ending with something good. Well, how do we take a look at the unfolding of God's plan over time in that context? Jesus revealed the timing and nature of the trouble ahead for his disciples when he came, you know, at his first advent 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. You know, so, Jonathan, let's pause there for a second, because the temple buildings at that time were magnificent. Oh, yes. So he's coming out of the temple. He must have walked quite a long way because they kind of look back and they're able to see the panorama of the buildings of the temple. It must have been quite a sight. And it, perhaps the sun was shining, and it just, you, you see this magnificence. And now Jesus had just been there. He knows what they look like. But his disciples, um, he, they, they point out the buildings. You know, it's not like he doesn't know they're there. But I think the awe of the sight, they're saying, Master, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Now, of course, we're paraphrasing here. What's Jesus' response to that? And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. What a crazy description. After they're showing their awe for the beauty, he's saying, it's all going to go. It's all going to be destroyed. A time to tear down. He's showing us in God's timing, these magnificent structures would be destroyed. The destruction would be immense. It happened in A.D. 70. And yet the risen Jesus much later reveals the power of reconstruction. Revelation chapter 21, 
verses 1 and 2. These are the words of the risen Jesus, the heavenly Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So, go ahead. Well, Rick, in this verse, there's no longer any sea. You know, it's not talking here literally about seas around around us at the sea near the seashore. It we know this is symbolic of the restless masses of humanity. There's no longer going to be that restlessness. So that's what it's saying, right? And, and that's going to come into play later on as we go through this podcast. So we're looking at tearing down and building up. We saw Jesus prophesy at his first advent. Um, the destruction of the temple and the buildings around it. And now the heavenly Jesus is telling John, uh, the revelator, that I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven. It's all brand new. Now, is it a real city, Jonathan? Uh, no, it's it's not. Okay. <laughs> Symbolic. Ma- of course. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Her husband's not marrying a building, okay? It, <laughs> and it's a picture. It's a picture of the true church in its glorified form. And it's a beautiful picture. But the point is, the tearing down of something would result later on in God's timing, in the building up of something far more magnificent. Same picture, same things. Jerusalem, the temple, all of that. But something much bigger and much grander, and that will last eternally. So, Let's pause there before we go to verse 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And Jonathan, let's go to a different soundbite. This is uh, from Brightside. What things will disappear in just 20 years? Again, we're looking at inventions, and we're now going to take a look at technology and, and what it's done for us, and we already touched on it from our own experiences. But there's some fascinating things here. Listen in. Say goodbye to remote controls. Losing the remote control under the couch will soon be a thing of the past. Won't that be nice? Why would you need to dig for the remote control when you can speak to your tablet and tell it to turn the TV on and play your favorite show? We already use smart home technology to turn our lights off and on, to reserve a table at a restaurant, and to control the temperature in our home. We can project video wirelessly from our phones to our TV. Some cable companies have created smartphone apps to control your cable. Remote controls will become obsolete as our tablets and smartphones will be able to accomplish the same tasks. You know, I remember the days when you didn't have a remote control. You had to get up off your butt and go turn the channel. (laughs) No, it's your turn. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you know, you ended up watching something because you didn't want to get up, you know, and and now we can't find the remote and we're too late. Of course, most of us don't even know how to change a channel on the actual television anymore. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) But anyway, it's just interesting. Technology is moving in leaps and bounds. We're going to get into that more as as we go through the the podcast. But, you know, just just a, a quick, quick snippet of how fast things change and how things are being built around us for good or for bad. They're being built around us. Okay, so back to Scripture, back to Ecclesiastes 3. We talked about tearing down and building up. We talked about killing and healing. And now Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Okay, again, weeping, then laughter, mourning, then dancing. 
you're, you're going from negative to positive in all of these things. So the, the, the attitude has changed, and I really were looking at that as saying, hey, this is showing God's big picture because it always looks negative. But in God's big picture, it becomes positive. Weeping and mourning are everyone's experiences. At these times, laughter and dancing are absolutely foreign. Great, very sad scriptural example is Jeremiah 31, 15 and 16. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord, and they will return from the land of the enemy. And Rick, isn't this the prophecy that is talking about the slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem uh, when Joseph and Mary were able to sneak out based on the the angel's um, command from the Lord? Um, And then King Herod heard from the wise men that uh, a king was born in Bethlehem, so he had all children under two years of age slaughtered. Yeah, so, you know, you, you have this, this I mean, and, and you think about this senseless, talk about senseless violence, you yes. know, and we, we look at violence today, we say, wow, this is senseless. Look at that, okay? Let's talk about just, just the, the utter senselessness and the deep weeping and mourning over the loss of innocent, innocent, innocent children. And Look, we all have the experience of, of, of loss, great loss in life. We all know what it's like to weep, and we all know what it's like to mourn. <clears throat> and, you know, those are parts of everybody's life. There's nobody you know who, who's an adult who hasn't had difficult experiences that cause weeping and mourning, okay, in God's time. And, Jonathan, this is the big picture, in God's time, I should have background music for this. We are <laughs> assured that these things will be washed away and become things of the past. We're just touching on the big picture here. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Rick, uh, remember, uh, we did a a program on the tabernacle uh, about a month ago uh, with a, a guest. And this is saying, you know, the tabernacle of the past in the Old Testament was primarily for the Israelites. That's how God was communicating with them. This scripture is showing the beauty that God's going to be with all peoples, not just Israel. So the ability to communicate with the creator will be available to all. Wow. That's, that's what this is saying. So a time to mourn and a time to dance, okay? You end up with the, with the excitement and the joy, a time to weep and a time to laugh. You end up with the joy in God's timing, in his big picture, all of the sadness and grief and, and angst and trouble ends and there's something great at the end tracing and, and, and rick that you were going to bring out a point we talked about earlier about jesus second advent here yeah you know it's interesting that in his first advent you see talk about the um the uh, the, the the good things to come but you see his death you see his suffering and he's remembered for those things Jesus, the returned Jesus, his return brings all of the goodness. So Jesus didn't forget 
his mission at the, at the, at the beginning. It just wasn't time. God's time showed us that his return brings us these things, and we're seeing the beginnings of these things already because it's the fall and then the, re, the rebirth that we'll, we'll be talking about in a little bit. So tracing God's timing, Jonathan, in relation to killing and healing and weeping and laughing and mourning and dancing. God's plan of necessary passes through the experience of death, destruction, crying, and mourning. It is our privilege to observe these things as merely temporary conditions that will be eradicated in God's own time. Think of the sadnesses of your life as temporary conditions that will be eradicated. They're going to go away. Okay? You know what it's like, Jonathan? It's like you're... you're, you're you're watching a movie series and you know the first movie you know it doesn't end well okay but the okay. the second movie is going to be the grand conclusion and now we're at the point where the movie's not ending well but you see the previews and i can't wait to see that one <laughs> but it's you know it's not out yet it's just not you have to wait but we're in we're stuck in the dark part it doesn't mean it's over god's timing says no 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 there's something bigger there's something more majestic coming around the corner So, seeing the big picture really helps to increase our faith. Now we need to steal our will to see our own part through. With a view of the big picture in place, what is our responsibility? What should we be doing with it? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry, we never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Understanding God's use of time is tricky. We can accept that there are good things to come in the future, but that is actually the smallest part of our responsibility. The big question should be, with my belief in, in God's timing in place, am I playing the role he has given me now at this present time? So, Jonathan, it's really not about, oh, but I know what's coming. It's about, what am I doing with what I know? It's look in the mirror. Yeah. Am I doing what God expects me to do? And, and that's a hard thing. So, you know, what we're going to see is the theme for this segment is going to be God's timing shows us personal privilege if we are able to know these things. But before we get to that, let's go back to watchmojo.com, okay? Uh, in top 10 inventions of all time, and of course these are debatable, I'm sure, and we're not here to do that. But uh, inventions number six and number five coming up. Number six, plumbing. The landscape of major cities would be drastically different without this innovation. After all, how would a high-rise exist without modern plumbing? Evolving from holes in the ground to chamber pots to outhouses and eventually to flush toilets as early as the 31st to 26th centuries BC, the development of plumbing improved living conditions for millions of people across the globe and lengthened our lifespans. Number five, medicine. Many medicines and vaccinations have extended and changed our lives significantly. Discovered by accident by Alexander Fleming, penicillin was the first group of drugs that fought illnesses like syphilis and strep infections. On the other side of the spectrum, since they were introduced to the public in the 1960s, contraceptives such as the birth control pill helped level out the global population and launched a revolution in social change. So plumbing and medicine, and you know, with uh, 
Yeah, plumbing is almost like medicine when you think about it. <laughs> you know, boy, I'm so thankful for those things. Oh, me too. Now, Rick. Yes. You, you got all these people going with all these inventions, yeah. but you're not going to show the top four. What's up with that? <laughs> you're ending it at number five. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, you know, um, well, you told me that the top four are going to be in the rewind material, right? They are. In They're the going to be notes? in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, they'll be included because Jewel told me they would be. <laughs> she's like, what happened to the top four? <laughs> yeah, well... I, We'll leave it to to the show notes to reveal uh reveal the top four and 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 you know yeah I I left them out kind of on purpose okay <laughs> what can I tell you <laughs> not that they're not any good but just that these these were the older things okay so anyway let's get refocused now God's timing uh in the in, in the theme for this part of our, our our podcast God's timing shows us personal privilege so Ecclesiastes three now verses five and six. These are going to, okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm not, I'm I'm still warming up here. Okay. All right. These verses are going to show us really the depth of our personal privilege. And you're going to listen to this and say, how does this have anything to do with personal privilege? But just wait. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. So, what does throwing stones and gathering stones have to do with (laughs) personal privilege? Good question, Rick. Yeah, well, you know, just just quick side story. My my uncle Steve, who was a wonderful Christian, died many years ago, was a mentor of mine, taught me what being a Christian looked like, uh, you know, along with my parents. Um, he loved he loved stones. He loved archaeology. And he would tell me, Rick, stones tell a story. Stones are precious. So if you wanted to ever throw stones away, you just give them to my uncle in those days, and he'd have been a happy man. But that's not what the personal privilege is about. Okay, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones uh, together. Israel, let's talk about Israel, had exclusive opportunity, exclusive opportunity to be Jesus' followers, and they rejected him. We see a prophecy of that long before it happened back in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. So picture this, Jonathan. Picture this, the call, okay, the call to be a follower of Jesus. In this prophecy... He has a vineyard. It's on a fertile hill, so it's in the right soil. He digs around it. He does the right thing, so it stays fertile. He throws away the stones. He A time to throw stones? Well, there you go. Why did he remove the stones? So they could have deep roots. And it sets the, 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 the context so the vine, the vineyard can grow well and produce wonderful fruit, and it only produced worthless ones. The nation rejected Jesus. God gave them every chance. He did. And like you said earlier, did they notice the healing? Did they notice the teaching? And yet as a nation, they rejected him. So you've got the throwing away stones, which actually provided great opportunity. Now, what about the gathering of stones together? Fast forward to the opportunity being given to people like you and I and and Gentiles as well as Jews. God's timing is, is such that the Gentiles were also given opportunity. And we can be a part of God's temple. And you touched on that in the last segment. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So if Jesus is being pictured as the chief cornerstone, certainly his followers are building stones in this temple of God. And as you said before, in the Spirit, not literal building. Right, right, exactly. But the point is, the gathering of these precious stones to put this temple together to bless the world, that's the time to gather stones. So God's timing shows us that you clear away things at some times and then you gather those stones together. Stones are essentially things to get out of the way at some times and other times they are the most precious thing ever. And so Israel was given the chance and we are now given a chance as a result of them saying no, no thank you. So, you know, there's this, the timing of God says the Gentiles were able to come into the picture much, much later. Because remember, the promises were given to Abraham. We're talking thousands of years ago. And yet much later, God's timing says, now we'll give others a chance also. That's amazing. That is. See, God's timing takes time that's beyond our thinking. And that's what we want to hold on to here. And that's encouraging. Because whenever you look and things are bad, you say, well, wait, it's just not God's timing yet. And that really is, that really is the answer. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 5. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. You know, and in this part, Jonathan, there's a specific sobriety that comes to those who are called to live a sanctified, which means a set-apart life for, for holy purpose. We need to manage our lives by managing our desires in the context of the time that we're given. As Christians... Human desires are there, and they're important, but they need to be in perspective. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, Paul is frankly talking about marital relations. And, you know, that's kind of a, an odd subject to be talking about in the Scriptures, some may think. But it's important, because as Christians, everything has to be done honestly and with respect, with, with, with the, the, the idea of being um, God-honoring in all parts of our behavior. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's the discipline here. We, we talked about the call in the first two scriptures, the Isaiah and the Ephesians scripture. Now it's showing discipline. Make sure that you live a disciplined life. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So we're called to this following of Jesus. You know, this is the personal privilege. The discipline required to answer that call is not that, okay, you're called and you're in. It's you're called and now go to work, okay? You've got the discipline, and we're going to get to the work in, in, in the next piece. Um, first, though, let's go to uh, bright side. Again, more technology, and this is not the top 10 inventions. You know what happened to those. You look at the show notes for the rest of those. Uh, what, what things will disappear in just 20 years? And here they're talking about no more keys. Listen to this. Bye-bye, keys. Keys will soon become a relic. In the distant future, your grandkids might go through your drawer and find a small metal object. They'll bring it up to you and say, what's this, Grandpa? And you'll say, keep out of my drawers, you little whippersnapper. 
<laughs> no, you'll tell them about a time when people used keys and the adventures that ensued when you lost them, left them in the car, or locked yourself out of your house. Companies are trying to create more secure and efficient security systems. Just imagine being able to command your car or apartment to open by using your voice, an app on your car, a retinal scan, or your DNA. Wait, how's that? You swab your cheek and the door opens? Hmm. <laughs> you know, the thing about keys, Jonathan, just two days ago, my daughter Amy uh, lost her house key. So she calls, hey, Dad, didn't I give you a house key of mine for my house? And I said, you know, I think you did. I, so I, I went home from my office, and mm -hmm. I'm looking, and I, and I find what I believe is the key. And I drive to her house, and of course it doesn't work. Well, it turns oh. out it was the key that she gave me, but then they changed the locks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So the locksmith has work, <laughs> yeah. just temporarily, because that, yeah. that's a fading field, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Technology just moves fast. And, and why? Because time has given technology the ability to gather so much information that it can build upon itself and go places that people never imagined. And that really is an amazing thing. And we're going to get to that actually in the next segment a little bit more. So, Jonathan, let's get back to uh, Ecclesiastes 3. We talked about a time to throw stones away and gather stones together. That's the call of the church. A, a time for to embrace or shun embracing. That's the discipline of the church, the true church. When we say church, we mean the followers of Christ. And now we get to the work of the followers of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. A time to search and a time to give up as loss. Our personal time management relies heavily on our determining what to search and what to leave. Second Timothy two, fifteen and sixteen. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Okay. Study. Diligently search the word of God. Find the truth. Make it yours. You know, it's great to hear Jonathan and Rick and talk about things, but if you don't verify and you don't look, it doesn't mean nearly as much. And that's the, that's the power of being a, a follower of Christ. We have the tools to be able to do that. Every one of us can learn by delving into the Word of God ourselves. But giving up as loss, you know, avoid worldly and empty chatter. Give that up. Right. There are things that are just lost. They're just, they're just a waste of time. Leave them alone. Walk away from them. This is the work of being a follower of Christ. And then finally, uh, the latter part of verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 3. A time to keep and a time to throw away. And that's very, very, very similar to what we just talked about. 1 Thessalonians five eighteen to 22. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Okay, you know, give thanks for everything, don't quench the spirit, okay? These are the things that you keep, okay? Don't despise prophetic utterances, keep those, examine everything carefully, but, that's the but, hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. Walk away, that's not where we belong. That's the work of being a true Christian. So this section of Ecclesiastes 3, verses 5 and 6, is showing us personal privilege 
as followers of Christ to be able to stand up for something that is higher than any part of our life could ever have been imagined. So tracing God's timing, Jonathan, as we wrap up this segment. The present time in God's plan is focused on the development of Jesus' footstep followers. Our time is precious in his sight and must conform to his will and time. His will, his time, that's where we live our lives. So if God can manage the timing of eternity, I'm sorry, if God can manage the timing of eternity, we certainly ought to be able to manage the time we are given. We have the big picture and personal privilege. Now, what do future times look like in God's plan? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. The whole matter of God's timing comes down to this. The world is presently a mess and looks like it will get worse by day. How does God's plan to break things down and redo them so all will fit into his design? How does God plan to break things down? I'm sorry. And redo them so that all fit into his design. The next two verses in Ecclesiastes 3 show us a powerful, powerful answer to this question. So, Jonathan, as we go into this segment the theme really is God's timing shows us his true intentions and his true results. And I just want to say that when God has an intention, it's actually a fact that just hasn't revealed itself yet. With us, you know, when I say, Jonathan, when I say I have an intention to do a better job at, at, at you know, hosting things, that, that's, a, that's, you know, that's a, good, that's a good desire on my part. But when God shows intention, it's simply a fact that's not been revealed big difference between the two. Just want to make sure that we understand that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, let's start with the first part of verse 7. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. So now we're looking at God's true intentions, facts yet to be revealed, and his true results. The power of God's timing. And Jonathan, this is, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. The power of God's timing reveals a need to end, to tear apart the present reign of sinful man. You say, well, what? That's great. That's a great thing to be all excited about. What I'm excited about is God's timing revealing the true meaning of his plan. That's what I'm excited about. So let's take a look at Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. So this is a wonderful prophecy, Jonathan. And, you know, you talked about the sea earlier. The restless masses of right. humanity. Yeah. And we know that mountains are symbols of governments. That's right. So this is not like some, some Christians say that this, this verse is about mountains falling into the oceans. No, it's not. It's about the governments of man falling into the heart of the restless masses. That's what it's about. And Jonathan, it's really interesting that when we look at this verse, you see, okay, these mountains are slipping into the heart of the sea, which means that they become engulfed. And, you know, we always look at this and say, well, you know, it's talking about anarchy. And it is. But think about the wording. The mountains slip into the heart of the sea. What's happened to governments is that the emotions of humanity is beginning to run things rather than justice, 
and mercy and righteousness. We're losing that, and it's becoming about how we feel about things. There's no clarity anymore. No. It's how we feel. Right, and, and that's the heart of the sea. The heart of the restless masses is, 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 is overtaking the governments, and we're not even thinking clearly on that level anymore. Speaking of the signs of the times, yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and again, this is all in God's timing. So Psalm 46 is showing us an end times picture and is saying, hey, take a look. This is where we are now. This undoing of the reign of man makes room for the establishment of the true kingdom of God. Now let's take a, a look at the sowing together because that's the tearing apart. Let's look at the sowing together. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, pause right there. What's it talking about? The sea? The people? The people. The knowledge of God will cover the people. And you notice it's not restless anymore, right? No, it's not. Okay, Okay. (laughs) verse 10. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. So, you know, what, what's the root of Jesse, Jonathan? Well, well, that's interesting. It's the Christ, including the called-out ones, Jesus and, and the faithful. The people will resort to them. They will turn to them to look for guidance and direction. And that's why in 1 Corinthians it said that we are to become ministers of reconciliation, because Jesus provides the price, and those who follow after Jesus, if we're faithful and we are with him in heaven, and at the proper time when the day of judgment, which is incidentally is a good thing, comes, the reconciliation that Jesus' ransom price bought can be put in place, and it takes those faithful ones to do it. So, you know, the mountains of man's governments will be replaced with the mountain singular of God's kingdom run through Jesus and his true church. That is tearing apart and sewing together. And when you're sewing it together, it is so much better a garment. Further in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the, other, the latter half of verse 7. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Okay, God's true intentions and his true results. All things are not meant to be spoken of at all times. God's timing allowed certain mysteries to be revealed before others. Rick, is that why Jesus spoke in parables? That is exactly why he spoke in parables. He said, because it's not for them to understand. Didn't mean he was cutting them off from salvation. It meant that it wasn't their time for salvation. We've done several other podcasts that show the two aspects of salvation. A fascinating, important teaching of Jesus that is verified from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God's plan did not make plain the call to heaven until Jesus had paid the ransom price. The Apostle Paul speaks it out in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to his saints— to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now, Jonathan, what you just said before about the root of Jesse being Jesus and his true followers, Christ and the church. And, you know, when we say the church, we're not talking about a denominational church. We're talking about the true followers of Jesus only, okay? Uh, 
this is showing us exactly the same thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, that it's Christ and his faithful ones. Together, they are the ministers of reconciliation. That was revealed in the time of the apostles, okay? Because it wasn't known, able to be known before then that that would happen. Just was not God's time. And, and Rick, um, a way that most people might look at it, if you say the word Jesus and the saints. Yes, okay. Then I think people say, oh, those that are in heaven now with Jesus that were amazing, faithful, worthy, I think it's more understandable. And the other thing to remember is that we believe that we have the opportunity to be saints. When the Apostle Paul writes his letters in, in the New Testament, he says, to the saints at, to the saints at. So he's not talking about just this individual or that individual like some denominations say. It's to the group of faithful ones. So good, good, that, that helps to put things in perspective. So those things were revealed back at the time of the apostles, but there were still other things that were not yet to be revealed till much later. Let's take a look at, much later in God's timing, deep prophecies um, given in silence were now able to be spoken of later. Jan Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Rick, since the late 1800s, knowledge has exploded and transportation too. Oh yeah, transportation, you know, and, and you know, when you think about going to and fro, we now have virtual reality and you can kind of be different places by just sitting in your own room, if you will. But you know, the, the amazing thing here is, 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 the, the end times, you know, and when you look at history, the end times have been a long time. We did a, a podcast with uh, David Stein on that several years ago, I think. When did the end times begin or something like that? So I, I don't remember the number. We'll need to look that up. But what it's saying is big increase of knowledge. And we have seen this, this hockey stick curve of knowledge just skyrocketing to where, you know, paper was the, the important thing that got things started. We're, we're working on paperless systems now. Because it's all technology. It's all intangible. This is an increase of knowledge that was not unlocked until these times here and now. So when we say a time to be silent and a time to speak, it's time to speak now because we're in the midst of this incredible explosion of knowledge. And that is a sign of the return of Jesus. That's what it's a sign of. That's, it just shows us. Jesus, he's, he's here when you see these things. So... Let's go one last soundbite from Brightside, uh, what things will disappear in just 20 years, and uh, they're talking about no more signatures. Farewell, signatures. In the future, all you'll need to sign an important document will be your face. Okay, buddy, just dip your nose in the ink and uh, kind of move your head around right here. Uh, that's it. Perfect. Here you go. No, it's actually facial recognition technology, which can identify a person from a digital image. It's used in all sorts of areas, from social media, where they tag someone automatically, to law enforcement agencies, where it's used to track criminals. In the future, your face will be your digital signature. Privacy concerns aside, it will certainly be convenient. You know, it, it's interesting because you have these digital signatures and, you know, you do that. And you think of something, you know, just, just in much more modern days, like the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. you know, with all those signatures. What yep. would that have been? It would have been a document somewhere in the cloud with what? <laughs> Face it, Rick. 
twins will have issues. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and you've got the retina scans and all of these things that that just are. It's it's an amazing, amazing thing when you think about the ways you can identify a single human being. The point is, technology has grown into such a massive, massive, massive part of our lives that we cannot live without it. And that shows us that we are at those times where things are wonderful and things are falling apart at the same time. So now we get to verse 8, which is essentially going to wrap up our discussion here of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Rick, uh, you know, we started out our conversation about the question, what advantage does man have in all his work? And that was in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3. Guess what the next words are after the time for war and a time for peace in verse 9. And it says, what profit is there to the worker for that in which he toils? We've come full circle yeah. from where we began. So there's a there's a complete story that has been told by Solomon, knowing it or not. And what we've done is we've applied prophecies that show different periods of time in God's plan to show us, here's where we're getting to. And now these last pieces are talking about the grand finale, if you will. God's timing emphatically delineates when Jesus returns to usher in restoration to that which was lost. And that's uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets, from ancient time. So you've got this sense that the heavens had to hold Jesus back until these times of restoration. God's timing said you can't go back yet until everything is fulfilled. So again, God's got it meticulously in control. And that gives you a sense of of great relief that we're not stuck in the misery. It's bigger than this. God's timing in emphatically delineates when the ending of hate and war will happen. And boy, that's amazing. Micah chapter 4, verse 3. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. That is coming. Now, I can't tell you the date. But I can tell you that it's God's intention. And Jonathan, what is God's intention? Oh, it's true. (laughs) And he has true results. (laughs) It's a fact that just hasn't been revealed yet. That's what it is. So let's wrap this up. Tracing God's timing was such a wonderful ending. Though God's timing for restoration, resurrection, peace, and harmony seems like it is taking forever, we are assured that it will come. We know it will come. God's timing has said so. And one final scripture as we wrap this up, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it certainly will come. It will not delay. 
And the reason it seems like it delays is because you and I have such short, small, little human minds. The mind of God is bigger than time. He sees his plan unfolding. We are near the end of this age, near the beginning of an age of wonderful reconciliation for all of humanity. That's what God's time clock is bringing us, thanks to the, his plan and the ransom price of Jesus Christ. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today as we talked about time and God's plan. And don't forget how incredibly important his meticulous time clock is. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our programs is subscribing to us uh, to Christian Questions in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, we'll be talking about what three steps will get us to heaven. Wait, are there just three steps to get us to heaven? Well, talk to you next week.